Chapter 21 of Good Stories for Great Birthdays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Good Stories for Great Birthdays by Francis Jenkins Alcott. Recording by Janice Hopkins. July 6. John Paul Jones. America's Immortal Sea Fighter. I have not yet begun to fight. Paul Jones A song unto liberty's brave buccaneer. Ever bright be the fame of the patriot rover. For our rights he first fought in his black privateer, And faced the proud foe ere our sea they crossed over. In their channel and coast he scattered their host. Twas his hand that raised, the first flag that blazed, and his deeds neath the pine tree, all ocean amazed. John Paul was born in Scotland July 6, 1747. Was the first American naval officer to receive a foreign salute for the Stars and Stripes, 1778. Won the victory over the Serapis, 1779. He died in Paris, July 18, 1792. His body brought to America in 1905 and interred with honors at the U.S. Naval Academy, Annapolis. The Boy of the Solway Born by the seashore of Scotland, where the tide heaves up the Solway, living on a promontory surrounded by romantic scenery, and with the words of seafaring men constantly ringing in his ears, the boy, John Paul, longed to be a sailor. He was the son of a poor gardener, but he was of that poetic, romantic temperament, which always builds gorgeous structures in the future, and no boy with the fancy like that of Paul could be content to live the humdrum life of a gardener's son. So he launched forth with a strong arm and resolute spirit to who is way among his fellows. John Paul was only twelve or fourteen years of age when he became a sailor on board a ship bound to Virginia. Thus early were his footsteps directed to America, by which his whole future career was shaped. After reaching America, he took the name of Jones. He rendered his new name immortal, and the real name John Paul is sunk in that of Paul Jones. Don't tread on me. In 1775, when our war for independence broke out, Paul Jones commenced his brilliant career. Some men regard him as sort of a freebooter turned patriot, an adventurer to whom the American war was a godsend, and in that it kept him from being a pirate. But nothing could be further from the truth. When the war broke out, he offered to serve the Navy. Congress accepted his offer, and appointed him first lieutenant in the Alfred. As the commander-in-chief of the squadron came on board the Alfred, Paul Jones unfurled our national flag, the first time its folds were ever given to the breeze. What that flag was, strange as it may seem, no record tells us. It was not the Stars and Stripes, for they were not adopted till two years after. The generally received opinion is that it was a pine tree with a rattlesnake coiled at the roots, as if about to spring, and underneath the motto, Don't Tread on Me. If the flag bore such a symbol, it was most appropriate to Paul Jones, for no serpent was ever more ready to strike than he. 
At all events, it unrolled to the breeze and waved over as a gallant a young officer ever trod a quarter deck. Fairly afloat, twenty-nine years of age, healthy, well-knit, though of light and slender frame, a commissioned officer in the American Navy the young gardener saw with joy, the shores receding as the fleet steered for the Bahama Isles. The result of this expedition was the capture of New Providence, with a hundred cannon and abundance of military stores, and the capture was brought about by the perseverance and daring of young Paul Jones. The First Salute The flag and I are twins, born at the same hour. We cannot be parted in life or death. So long as we shall float, we shall float together. If we sink, we shall go down as one. Paul Jones, June 14, 1777, was a great day for the United States and for Paul Jones. On that self-same day, Congress passed two famous resolutions, and Commander Paul Jones and the flag of the nation were born at the same hour. Resolved that the flag of the 13 United States be 13 stripes, alternate red and white, that the Union be thirteen stars, white and a blue field, representing a new constellation. Resolved that Captain John Paul Jones be appointed to command the ship Ranger. Thus it came to pass that the gallant young Scotchman, eager to fight for liberty, hastened to make the Ranger ready for sea. Then he sailed away under orders for France. From the harbor of Nantes, he convoyed some American ships to place them under the protection of the French fleet in Cuberian Bay. The commander of the French fleet was Admiral Limotte Piquet, who had been ordered by his government to keep the coast of France free from British cruisers. And it was there in Cuberian Bay that John Paul Jones received the first salute ever given by a foreign nation to our stars and stripes a salute that recognized the independence of the United States. It was on Washington's birthday, 1778, that Paul Jones wrote to our government describing this great event. I am happy in having it in my power to congratulate you, he said, on my having seen the American flag for the first time recognized in the fullest and completest manner by the flag of France. It was off of their bay, the 18th, and sent my boat in the next day, to know if the admiral would return my salute. He answered that he would return to me, as the senior American continental officer in Europe, the same salute which he was authorized by his court to return to an admiral of Holland, or of any other republic, which was four guns less than the salute given. I hesitated at this, for I had demanded gun for gun. Therefore, I anchored in the entrance of the bay, at a distance from the French fleet, but after a very particular inquiry, on the 14th, finding that he had really told the truth, I was induced to accept of his offer, the more so as it was in fact an acknowledgment of American independence. The wind being contrary and blowing hard, it was after sunset before the ranger got near enough to salute La Motte Piquet with thirteen guns, which he returned with nine. However, to put the matter beyond a doubt, I did not suffer the independence to salute till next morning, when I sent the admiral word that I should sail through his fleet 
in the brig and would salute him in open day he was exceedingly pleased and returned the compliment also with nine guns paul jones thus had the singular honor of being the first to hoist the original flag of liberty on board the alfred first to probably hoist the stars and stripes which still wave in pride as our national emblem and first to claim for our flag the courtesy from foreigners due to a sovereign state the poor richard paul jones gave up the command of the ranger in order to take command of a larger ship promised him by the french government but he had a long discouraging period of waiting for the new ship it was then that he wrote to a french official those famous words i will not have anything to do with ships which do not sail fast for i intend to go in harm's way after months of desperate waiting and after writing many letters paul jones chanced to be reading a copy of franklin's poor richard's almanac these words caught his eye if you would have your business done go if not send so he stopped sending letters and hastened to paris to plead his own cause with the help of franklin himself paul jones got his ship at last he named it bonhomme richard or the poor richard it was while commanding the poor richard that paul jones gained his famous victory over the british ship the serapis mickles the mischief he has done with seven ships in all a snug little squadron for jones had the different commanders been subordinate he set sail in the richard from france and steered for the coast of ireland the want of proper subordination was soon made manifest for in a week's time the vessels one after another parted company to cruise by themselves till paul jones had with him but the alliance palace and vengeance in a tremendous storm he bore away and after several days of gales and heavy seas approached the shore of scotland taking several prizes near the firth of forth he ascertained that a twenty-four gun ship and two cutters were in the roads this he determined to cut out and landing in life lay the town under contribution the inhabitants supposed his little fleet to be english vessels in pursuit of paul jones and a member of parliament a wealthy man in the place sent off a boat requesting powder and balls to defend himself as he said against the pirate paul jones jones very politely sent back the bearer with a barrel of powder expressing his regrets that he had no shot to spare soon after this he summoned the town to surrender but the wind blowing steadily off the land he could not approach with his vessel at length however the wind changed and the richard stood boldly in for the shore the inhabitants as they saw her bearing steadily up toward the place were filled with terror and ran hither and thither in affright but the good minister reverend mr Chirat, assembled his flock on the beach to pray the lord to deliver them from their enemies he was an eccentric man one of the quaintest of the quaint old scott divines so that his prayers even in those days were often quoted for their oddity and roughness having gathered his congregation on the beach in full sight of the vessel which under a press of canvas was making a long track that brought her close to the town he knelt down on the sand and thus began now dear lord 
Didn't you think it a shame for you to send this vile pirate to Robo Foco Cocoldi? For ye can there poor and now already and had nothing to spare. The while the wind blows, he'll be here in a jiffy. And well kens what he may do. He's not too good for anything. Mickles the mischief he's doing already. He'll burn their houses, take the very claws, and turn them to the sock. And was me. Well, Ken's but the bloody villain may take their very lives. The poor wee men are most frightened out of their wits, and the burns skilling after them. I cannot think of it. I cannot think of it. I have been a long faithful servant to ye, Lord. But Virginia, dinner, turn the wind about and blow the scoundrel out our gate. I'll not stir a foot, but we'll just sit there till the toy comes, so take your will out. Now, to the no little astonishment of the good people, a fierce gale at the moment began to blow, which sent one of Jones's prizes ashore and forced him to stand out to sea. This fixed forever the reputation of good Mr. Sherrard, and he did not himself wholly deny that he believed his intercessions brought on the gale, for whenever his parishioners spoke of it to him, he always replied, I prayed, but the Lord sent the wind. Paul Jones himself Paul Jones was slight, being only five feet and a half high. A stoop in his shoulders diminished still more his stature. But he was firmly knit and capable of enduring a great fatigue. He had dark eyes and a thoughtful, pensive look when not engaged in conversation. But his countenance lighted up in moments of excitement, and in a battle became terribly determined. His lips closed like a vice while his brow contracted with the rigidity of iron. The tones of his voice were then haughty in the extreme, and his words had an emphasis in them, which those who heard never forgot. He seemed unconscious of fear, and moved amid the storm of battle and trod the deck of his shattered and wrecked vessel, like one who rules his own destiny. He would cruise without fear in a single sloop, right before the harbors of England, and sail amidships double his size of his own. But with all his fierceness in the hour of battle, he had as kind a heart as ever beat. To see him in a hot engagement, covered with the smoke of cannon, himself working the guns, while the timbers around him were constantly ripping with the enemy's shot, or watch him on the deck of his dismasted vessel, over which the hurricane swept and the sea rolled, one would think him destitute of emotion, but his reports of the scenes afterwards resembled the descriptions of an excited spectator. He was an old Roman soldier in danger, but a poet in his after-accounts of it. Jones had great defects of character, but most of them sprang from his want of early education. He was not a mere adventurer, owning his elevation to headlong daring. He was a hard student as well as a hard fighter, and had a strong intellect as well as a strong arm. He wrote with astonishing fluency, considering the neglect of his early education. He even wrote eloquently at times, and always with force. His verses were as good as the general run of poetry of that kind. Paul Jones was an irregular character but his good qualities predominated over his bad ones. And as the man who first hoisted the American flag at sea, and received the first salute ever offered it by a foreign nation, 
and the first who carried it victoriously through the fight on the waves. He deserves our highest praise and most grateful remembrance. With such a commander to lead the American Navy and stand before it as the model of a brave man, no wonder our Navy has covered itself with glory. Some of his sayings, I will not have anything to do with ships which do not sail fast, for I intend to go in harm's way. Don't swear, Mr. Stacy, we may at the next moment be in eternity, but let us do our duty. I have not yet begun to fight. I have ever looked out for the honor of the American flag. I can never renounce the glorious title of a citizen of the United States. I can accept of no honor that will call in question my devotion to America. End of chapter 21